what you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence itself. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mike podcast episode number 32. Thank you so much for joining me. On today's show we are going to be exploring the potential for a major global cyber attack by exploring some of the recent war games that have taken place, preparing for such an event. Now we know that these war games can be extremely useful in their predictive capacity for telling us, the public, what might be coming down the pipeline. We saw this with COVID-19 and the infamous Event 201 that took place just a few months prior to the global scandemic, but this was actually just the tip of an iceberg. So in part one, we discussed the build-up to the 2020 scandemic and talked specifically about all of those pandemic planning exercises and war games and simulations that took place in the decade or so prior. Then towards the end of part one, we're going to transition into looking at the most recent pandemic simulation exercises but these were not viral pandemics these were cyber pandemics so we're going to look specifically at the wef's cyber polygon and then in part two we're going to go deeper into this one and look at a recent particularly disturbing one called collective strength that had many eerie parallels in terms of its outcomes to what one might expect should a global financial reset be enacted members please head over to parallelmike.com to listen to the full episode in part two we actually go through what this global cyber pandemic might look like and how we can best protect ourselves it's a very difficult one but we do give some very practical advice towards the end of that one so please head over there to listen to that everyone else thank you for joining me for part one i think you're going to take an awful lot from this one but if you do enjoy it please consider becoming a member over on parallelmike.com you can join us over there and join in the forums too In closing, thank you so much everyone for listening. I hope you're all well, healthy and reasonably happy. And of course, like always, I will see you all in the next one. Okay, so our story begins in 2001 when the Americans enacted a war game called Dark Winter. Now, Dark Winter was the first in a long series of pandemic planning exercises that would take place and it involved John Hopkins University, as well as the US government. Now, this one was very interesting because it specifically presaged, and when I say presaged, I mean predicted the 9-11 anthrax attacks that would take place just a few months after, given this took place in June 2001. And of course, we had the 9-11 attacks in September 2001. And then there was the anthrax attacks. Now, those anthrax attacks have pretty much been forgotten by most people in the mainstream, but it's extremely important to understand this history. So what happened was just after 9-11, the week after, in fact, 
there was a series of anthrax attacks in the USA in which anthrax was mailed to a number of US senators as well as some people in the media. Now the FBI case file on this came to be known as Emerithax which is quite unfortunate and it took place over several weeks it began on September the 18th 2001 which like I said was just one week after the 9-11 twin towers so-called terrorist attacks where those towers were demolished and some letters containing anthrax spores with notes saying things like death to America death to Israel Allah is great well those were the notes that were inside these envelopes along with anthrax spores and they were mailed to several news media offices and to senators Tom Daschle and Patrick Leahy killing five people and infecting 17 others. Now Capitol Police officers and staffers working for Senator Ross Feingold they were exposed as well and according to the FBI the ensuing investigation became one of the largest and most complex in the history of law enforcement. Now they would say that because there is some big red flags on this one. And as you're going to find out, the FBI were completely culpable in this. So the investigation claimed almost immediately, just after the attacks had happened, that the anthrax must have been sent by Osama bin Laden. The only problem was there was zero evidence of that back in 2001. And the anthrax was clearly something produced by very sophisticated operators in a top-spec biolab of which only a few nations on the planet could possibly have achieved. Because this was military-grade anthrax, it was a bioweapon. So what happened was the FBI tried to pin it on Osama bin Laden. They said that it must have been Osama, the same guy who was responsible for bringing down the Twin Towers with those planes. And I'm guessing they were trying to make out like he had some level 5 biolab out there in his little cave dwelling in the desert. But of course, anybody that understood biowarfare, any scientist that had ever worked with anthrax or understood it, found this one a little bit hard to believe. It made no sense. So the story started to change very quickly. And it was ludicrous. So people were clearly raising their eyebrows. They were like, wait a minute, military-grade anthrax? And you're telling us that it was produced by a man in a cave? So when the first story failed, they panicked. And they basically said, oh, well, we've tested the anthrax and it has traces of bentonite in it. Now, bentonite is an additive and they said that the only people who would have added bentonite to it were the Iraqis. So now it was Saddam Hussein who must have done it. And they had numerous scientists who worked at the infamous Fort Detrick Laboratory. Fort Detrick is a military base for those who don't know. And that is where the US housed lots and lots of deadly pathogens where they supposedly, where they claim to be trying to come up with ways of stopping bio-attacks. But they have all kinds of things in there, different modified AIDS viruses, anthrax, smallpox. And so they got some scientists from Fort Detrick to confirm that the anthrax had bentonite in it and that would be something that only Saddam Hussein could have added to it. Now, it turned out, actually, that there was no bentonite in it at all. The whole story was fabricated. And we found out 10 years later in this very lengthy investigation in which the FBI did all kinds of craziness, which I won't get into too much of, but a decade later, the official investigation had to admit that the anthrax actually came from Fort Detrick itself. Isn't that interesting? The US had attacked the US. And so now they needed a fall guy. They'd been misdirecting the public all along. And they eventually blamed the Fort Detrick scientists who were actually on the investigating team 
who originally said it came from first and foremost Osama and then Saddam. Now, they tried to pin it on one, which didn't work. The guy was able to evidence that he was innocent. He ended up suing them for $5 million, by the way, which he was awarded. But then they focused on another scientist there, and they tried to pin it on him. They eventually put him in a psychiatric hospital, and then he mysteriously committed suicide by having too much Tylenol. Now, the investigation didn't stop there. It actually went on for two decades. Two decades they dragged this one out. They pinned it all on this scientist who had mysteriously killed himself. They said that he was responsible. It was just one rogue scientist who had decided to mail all of these people, these anthrax spores with these letters saying death to America, death to Israel. And they blamed it all on him. But the investigation actually went on for 20 years. And of course, by the end of it, nobody was even paying attention anymore. The public had completely forgotten about it. Now, I might be able to tell you even more about it, but unfortunately, this 20-year-long investigation is filled with confidential material, which they're not allowing us to read, so we don't actually know what the investigation found out. Surprise, surprise. But what we do know is the anthrax certainly came from Fort Detrick, and there you have it. It was America attacking America. Now, what we know is that after 9-11 and these anthrax attacks, we had something called the Patriot Act, which was quickly brought in. And this was actually done because of the anthrax attacks also. These were absolutely critical in getting that legislation through. So although the anthrax attacks were America attacking America and 9-11 was clearly a false flag, so you could say that was America attacking America also, but without getting too far into that one, what happened next was that these two events were used as justification for the Patriot Act. So that was the goal all along, to destroy the freedoms of the American people. So whilst America was in this state of fear, panic and terror, thinking that terrorists were going to overrun the country, Congress silently passed through the Patriot Act with virtually zero oversight. The American people had no idea it was being even enacted. And it happened within 30 days of the attack. So just think about that for a second. The Patriot Act completely rewrites the rules around surveillance and privacy for the citizen. How the hell did they write that 300-page document in just 30 days? It didn't happen. But Congress passed it with virtually no issues at all. It was just straight through Congress. And essentially, that turned everyone in America into a potential terrorist. It made sure that the US could spy on them, collect vast amounts of data. It completely rewrote what the NSA's mandate was. And it led us to the place where we are today, where complete and total surveillance of the civilian, of people who have done nothing wrong, is allowed by law. So that's what the Patriot Act did for everyone. So the dark winter simulation that took place just three months before all of this somehow managed to predict and foreshadow a key event that was about to happen, which was this biological attack by supposed terrorists in the US. So remember this one as we go forward because it gives us a template of how these war games are utilized to prepare the public and also to prepare the state for what will later become a potential real event. And it seems like they often do become real events, which is why we're watching it. Now, if we fast forward a little bit to 2010, we had Lockstep, Operation Lockstep as it's come to be known. And this one was enacted by the Rockefeller Foundation. And again, this one seeded the idea of the COVID pandemic that would come a decade later. So in this one, they role modeled a fictional global pandemic. And they also wargamed what happened following the pandemic, which was essentially a very short trip to totalitarianism. Sound familiar? 
So in this scenario, the world looked at China and how they responded to this fictional pandemic and China responded in very draconian ways. And then the rest of the world started to copy them. And then the leaders of the West in this war game started to become totalitarian-esque, which is, of course, exactly what's happened. Now, when you read Operation Lockstep and it describes this fictional pandemic and the responses, remember this was written 10 years before COVID as well, it's absolutely astonishing how much of what is in there actually came to transpire 10 years later with COVID. It's almost like a script that they were going to follow when COVID was enacted. And it talks about all of the totalitarian controls that it was going to implement. So I'm just going to read you a quote from this one. During the pandemic, national leaders around the world flexed their authority and imposed airtight rules and restrictions, from the mandatory wearing of face masks to body temperature checks at the entries to communal spaces like train stations and supermarkets. Even after the pandemic faded, this more authoritarian control and the oversight of the citizens and their activities stuck and even intensified in order to protect themselves from the spread of increasingly global problems from pandemics and transnational terrorism to environmental crises and rising poverty, leaders around the world took a firmer grip on power. So there you have it everyone, pretty much exactly what has happened the last few years. COVID came and went, but the totalitarian-esque diktats have not, they've continued. Now, it also discusses in this document how in the years following COVID, sorry, in the years following the fictional pandemic, the top-down control actually increased going into 2025 and 2026, and it actually uses that as the timeline in their scenario in Operation Lockstep, it says between 2025 and 2026, there was this sort of global uprising and revolution springing up all across the world as people became absolutely exasperated with the totalitarian-esque measures of the government. So this is actually really interesting too, because they were predicting sort of what looks like might be on the horizon in the next few years, in 2025 to 2026 because that's what we're seeing globally chaos people getting angry societies breaking down riots in the streets for all manner of reasons just look at what's happening right now with the israel versus palestine the protesters in the streets all across europe rioting looting violence and then also don't forget what we spoke about in episode number 12 this is only the beginning the solar cycle will peak between 2024 and 2026 which is right about the time when in Operation Lockstep, they predict a global uprising and revolution. So could it be that what we're living through right now is all pre-planned and predicted also? That they are planning to take us to this war slash global revolution right at the peak of the solar cycle? Because remember, there are studies out there that tell us that 80% of all wars and revolutions over the past 2,000 years happened at the peak of the solar cycle and we're just coming into that. So I think it's very important to understand these cycles. And if you haven't listened to episode number 12, I would say go back and check that one out and it will get you up to speed. But it's important to know that Operation Lockstep predicted this between 2024 and 2026 as well. Now, another thing that we saw in the Operation Lockstep document was something called the hack attack, which was a series of cyber attacks on the global system. So again, this was seeding what would become the next major event after the COVID narrative. It seeded the COVID one, but then also this cyber attack narrative, which is clearly where we're going to now. 
So that one was Operation Lockstep, which seemed to do very well at its predictive programming. And don't forget, whilst all of these pandemic simulation exercises were taking place over the past decade or so, there was also a lot of Hollywood films and TV dramas that were about pandemics, lots of dystopian movies. So there was a lot of predictive programming that was going on during this time. And recently, it's been the same with cyber warfare, which we'll see later on. So after Operation Lockstep, we had another seven years before we had the SPA scenario. And this one was enacted again, yet again, by John Hopkins University. It was a futuristic scenario, and they produced an 80-page report. And it wargamed a fictional COVID-like pandemic. And this one took place between the years 2025 and 2028. Now, just a year later, so just a year after this one, they did Clade X. And again, this was John Hopkins. And in Clade X, they were talking about bioweapons again. So this one kind of presaged the narrative that was going to come out along with COVID, that there was a Wuhan laboratory and a potential lab leak, which, of course, was a purposely planted story. It was to create suspicion, antagonism between East and West. And it was a multi-layered narrative that they gave us with lots of dead ends so there was the Wuhan fish market that was the official one then there was this underlying narrative of the grade 4 bioweapons laboratory in Wuhan so this was all designed to keep us guessing keep us thinking of course the ultimate narrative is the one that they don't want you to ever know or understand but moving on from that the clade x scenario gave us some outcomes so in that war game it ended with the president issuing a quarantine notice. It also had the drastic reduction in civil liberties. The healthcare system was nationalized in that one. But here's the important one that came out of Clade X. Biometric digital identities were instituted. So again, it had an uncanny predictive capacity to guess what they were going to start to try and implement with the actual scandemic, which of course was COVID. So after this one in 2008, there was Crimson Contagion in 2019. And what you'll notice is they really started to speed up going into 2020. So there was one in 2017, 18, then there was two in 2019. And then, of course, they did the real life war game, which was COVID-19. So Crimson Contagion 2019, this time it was the US government and Department of Health, Homeland Security and FEMA. And they responded to a Chinese viral outbreak. So again, what you'll notice is all of these simulations added pieces of the narrative that would eventually be used for COVID. So again, it presaged the COVID pandemic. Now, this one was interesting in that it was very close to the COVID event and it also involved lots of everyday people who were working for these different government bodies. So it was actually conditioning them for the response that a year later they would actually be asked to enact during the real life scenario of COVID-19. So it's interesting to reflect back on what scenario they was given and told that they must role play because, of course, just a year later, these people would see COVID unrolled. And the scenario was very similar. So in this one, they got told that within two months, 500,000 people had died, which was very similar to the COVID predictions that we were all given early on when they said, oh, two million people are going to die in the US, a million people in the UK. So this really seeded in their minds what they was going to be told a year later. Next up was the final prep. So this was the big one, Event 201, that happened in 2019. And again, it was John Hopkins University. It was also the WEF, 
the Gates Foundation. And this one was a really big one because it brought together all of the key players that would be involved in the totalitarian measures during 2020 to 2022. So it had big tech there, it had the legacy media there, it had intelligence services there, it had the head of the Chinese CDC. And basically they all got together to war game yet again another pandemic scenario, a respiratory virus. And they discussed in this one not how they would respond to the virus, but how they would respond to the public asking questions about the virus. Very interesting. So they discussed how they would essentially crush any dissent. They was obsessed in this war game about how they would handle disinformation. And of course, with good reason, because they knew it was all going to be a giant lie that was going to be unfolded in the next few months. So they agreed upon how they would stop people sharing anything but the official narrative, how big tech would censor people, push recommendations about the real narrative, stop anyone asking questions. So essentially, they were just putting the finishing touches on all these other pandemic scenario war games. And in this one, they focused exclusively on how they would handle the narrative and essentially enforce totalitarian-like limits on freedom of speech. So in this one, it was a three-hour tabletop exercise, and they spoke about how 60 million people would be killed by this fictional virus that they said came from animals, so similar to the bat story. They spoke about how the lockdowns would be implemented, how quarantines would be implemented. They spoke about the destruction of small businesses, civil unrest, rioting in the streets, and like I said, there was an obsession in this war game around disinformation. And they spoke about the removal of civil liberties, the mistrusting government the public would have, and how they'd have to crush that by forcing them to go along with the official narrative. So they did this one in September of 2019. Now, interestingly, this happened on the exact same day, the very precise same day that the World Military Games began in Wuhan, China. So this is where all of the world's top military brass descended upon Wuhan, which of course, just a few months later, they would pinpoint as the place where the supposed virus originated from. And I'm not going to get into whether the virus was real or not, or whether viruses themselves are real or not. But what I will say is a lot of people I know did get sick repeatedly, especially after they took the injections, but they did in the build-up to it also. And ultimately, whether it happened or not, the World Military Games did take place in the same place where they said the virus originated from, which was Wuhan. Of course, they gave us multiple narratives. They gave us the wet fish market. There was also the level four bio lab that was in Wuhan. And of course, that was funded by the US. So clearly, there was lots of things going on around this space in Wuhan and having all the military leaders there on the exact same day, the exact same day that Event 201 was taking place, that just boggles the mind a little bit. I'm guessing they were all sat around the table planning for what was about to happen in terms of this global operation, which was simultaneously being simulated at a fancy hotel over in New York, where the WEF and the Gates Foundation and John Hopkins were doing Event 201. Now, I think the reason that they planned to do this in Wuhan, China, specifically was to create this US-China narrative. But ultimately, I believe both countries are controlled by the same figures. The antagonism is just to further one big agenda. Clearly, clearly both China and the US were in on this. The biolab was in China, but it was funded by the US. Of course, the Chinese had complete oversight on it as well. China was the first place to start declaring cases. There was all those stupid videos of people pretending to collapse in the street, 
China are absolute dog shit when it comes to their propaganda. They are really, really bad at it. I don't know why they think they can release those videos and people are going to believe them. Nobody believed those videos, but that's what they released. But like I said, I believe China and the US were both working on this together. And it's the same with Russia. We see this all the time. They're all working on central bank digital currencies. Russia is planning the central bank digital currency called the digital ruble for next year. They all used vaccines. Yes, China and Russia did not use the mRNA vaccines. That's absolutely key. So there is a disparity there, but I don't think it's because they're on opposing sides of the agenda. I think it's because that mRNA was specifically desired to be putting people in the West for reasons I do not know, but we can speculate. So yes, ultimately, I think they're all controlled by the same people. Now, clearly, the people that are involved in politics, not all of them understand what's going on. Not all the people who work in banking or finance understand what's going on. You do get a lot of people in politics who actually do care about their countries. And they do believe to some degree in nationalism. But what they find once they join that system is they either get corrupted by the system itself. And let's face it, most people who want to go into politics are corrupted by default because they want power. Or they get moved out of politics. Or they realize that there is an invisible wall. They find that lots of the things that they try and implement just simply don't work. No matter how high they get because there's this invisible layer of power. So that's how the system works. It's a closed loop. It's a captured system. And the only way to make sense of the destruction of the West, of the LGBTQI propaganda, of mutilating children, of injecting people with poison, even the military, of the destruction of property rights, of the destruction of our industry over the past 50 years, and the transfer of power in which we intentionally moved all of our power base east. You know, China produced most American drugs. They produce most of the electronics that are used. Like 90% of all phones are produced in China. A country would not do that to itself if it was truly in control of its own destiny. Politicians would not do that if they were working in the interests of the country. They're clearly working in the interests of somebody else. So the only way to make sense of all of this is to understand that all of these countries are captured by the same elite few and they don't ascribe to any country. The reason we're doing all of this for China is not for China's benefit. It's because the people at the top have decided to move their capital towards the east. And they wear these nations like a glove. So we had the British Empire, but then it got transferred over to America. Well, now they're going to transfer it over to China, probably around circa 2050 to 2060. And in between then and now, there'll be this narrative of BRICS versus the West and this antagonism between the two, potentially lots of wars. But it's all part of the script. It's all part of the transfer of power, which has already taken place. And of course, then it makes sense of why China and America would be coming together on something like COVID-19 is because they were forced to. They had to work together on this the same way they all worked together on things like going to the moon. Remember India's moon landing recently? <laughs> That's probably one of the most ludicrous videos I've ever seen. But the whole world gets behind it and says, yes, they did land on the moon. And they all act in agreement when it comes to the big things like COVID, like moon landings, because that's what they're told to do. That's what they have to do. So that's when you see what's really going on. It's the same with CBDCs. It's the same with all of these international treaties. They're all signed up to the WHO. They're all signed up to the IMF, the United Nations. Yes, even Russia. Yes, even China, America, Great Britain, all of them. So that brings us to the end of the pathogenic pandemic simulations. But this isn't the end of the pandemic war games fully. 
because starting in 2019, they added something new to the mix and a new term came to the fore. And this was, of course, the term cyber pandemic. And suddenly everything morphed from focusing on a viral pandemic to the threat of a global cyber attack. Now, this actually began in 2018 when the World Economic Forum, yes, the same names pop up time and time again, they took a very big interest in the potential for a cyber attack. Davos, Switzerland, the 24th of January, 2018. The World Economic Forum today announced a new global center for cybersecurity to help build a safe and secure global cyberspace. The center will be based in Geneva, Switzerland, and will function as an autonomous organization under the auspices of the World Economic Forum. The aim of the center is to establish the first global platform for governments, businesses, experts, and law enforcement agencies to collaborate on cybersecurity challenges. As a truly borderless problem, cyber attacks are surpassing the capacities and institutions that are currently dealing with this threat in an isolated manner. Only through collaboration, information exchange, and common standards can the global community successfully counter-organized digital crime. So what you'll notice here is we were being taken towards this global threat. Everyone has to come together. Global problems need global solutions. That's their rallying cry. And it's interesting they set this one up in Geneva, the exact same place as where? Yes, the Bank for International Settlements and also CERN too. So lots of strange things going on over there in Switzerland, eh? Got another quote here. If we want to prevent a digital dark age, we need to work harder to make sure the benefits and potential of the fourth industrial revolution are secure and safe for society. The new Global Center for Cybersecurity is designed as the first platform to tackle today's cyber risks in a truly global manner. And that was Alwai Zwingi, who is Managing Director at the World Economic Forum and also the head of Global Center for Cybersecurity. So they opened this sort of global hub in Geneva for cybersecurity in 2018. And the following year, the World Economic Forum began what would become an annual event over the next three years called Cyber Polygon which again was another series of tabletop and online wargaming where they would roleplay fictional cybersecurity threats in real time, where they'd pretend it was real and it was just like the war games they did for the pandemics. But this one was, of course, for global cybersecurity. Now, the first one took place, like I said, in 2019. And although it was organized by the World Economic Forum, suddenly the key players that they worked alongside shifted almost entirely from the West to the East. So in Cyber Polygon in 2019, in 2020 and 21, although many countries in both the West and the East participated online, so hundreds of countries were actually involved in the actual war game taking part online, the actual partners of this were nearly all from Eurasia. And there was lots of Russian participation, also Azerbaijan. So that's extremely interesting. And I'm just going to read you out a list of who was involved in this one alongside the WEF. So there was Russia's Spare Bank, there was the TTC, which is one of the largest communication operators in Kazakhstan, there was MTS, which is one of the leading communications companies in Russia, who serves a lot of Eurasia, but also, get this, there was the New Development Bank. Now, for those that follow the BRICS narrative, that is their development bank. So Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, 
The new development bank is tasked with funding their projects over in BRICS, so it's interesting that they were a part of it too. So really the WEF was working with BRICS on the Cyber Polygon, although the West was involved too. So isn't that interesting? The supposed enemies of the West were actually front and center for those war games of cyber attacks. And clearly the UF would have known in 2019 about the build-up to war in Ukraine and Russia because that had been going on since 2014. So how strange. Why would Russia be front and center for these war games? America's arch nemesis all of a sudden is being a key part of wargaming a cyber attack. Remember, the US claimed Russia interfered in their elections, Russian hackers were hacking the US systems, but here they were now engaging in war games around cyber pandemics together, sharing information about defences against attacks. So maybe this is why they crammed three back-to-back -back scenarios in 2019, 20 and 21 with Russia because they probably knew that in 2020 they'd have to start playing the old oh we hate Russia card and get rid of them and not allow them to do any more. So they were trying to get them up to speed before the actual real cyber attacks would come out. And IBM was involved too so that's worth noting because clearly they are working with US intelligence, they do a lot of the systems over there. So it doesn't make sense unless we accept that both sides were coming together once more to plan a really big event. So the first Cyber Polygon, which took place in 2019, it focused on wargaming three specific scenarios. This was a big DDoS attack, an application attack, and a ransomware attack. So year one was pretty low level. It was talking about attacks on businesses, for example. But as the years went on, as they went to 2020, then the final one in 2021, they escalated the threat. So by 2021, they were actually talking about a major global cyber attack that would actually bring down major infrastructure, energy grids, and of course, the global financial system. So it escalated in size. And I've got another quote here to share with you all. A report published last year by the WEF Carnegie Cyber Policy Initiative calls for the merging of Wall Street banks, their regulators and intelligence agencies as necessary to confront an allegedly imminent cyber attack that will collapse the existing financial system. In November 2020, the World Economic Forum and Carnegie Endowment for International Peace co-produced a report that warned that the global financial system was increasingly vulnerable to cyber attacks. Advisors to the group that produced the report included representatives from the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the International Monetary Fund, Wall Street giants like JP Morgan Chase and Silicon Valley behemoths like Amazon. The ominous report was published just months after the World Economic Forum had conducted a simulation of that very event, a cyber attack that brings down the global financial system. They did this in partnership with Russia's largest bank, which is due to jumpstart the country's economic digital transformation with the launch of its own central bank-backed digital currency. So there you have it, the WEF working alongside Russia's largest bank who are transforming Russia with the digital ruble. It doesn't look good, does it? It looks like they're all in on this together. And I think that's where the rubber really meets the road in this one. All of these scenarios, these war games, these plannings, is problem, reaction, solution. What they're setting up for is something that is almost certainly going to happen. And Klaus Schwab himself says there is a 95% chance that in the next two years, we face a major global cyber attack that brings countries to their knees. That's his words, not mine.
So these scenarios, whether they're predicting the future, whether they're preparing to enact a future upon us, whichever way you look at it, it seems to me like that is where we're heading. Now in part two, we're going to be talking about how some of the most recent war games that they've been doing suggest we could be getting very, very close to seeing something like a major global cyber pandemic enacted. And this will be all based around the financial system and its collapse. Now we know that we are getting close to the collapse of the financial system anyways, and we've discussed on here recently the great taking. So they would need a massive distraction, a grand narrative that would convince people to accept what happens when the financial system collapses. And I think that could be a cyber attack. That could be what enables people to believe that the financial system came down, not because they created a giant Ponzi scheme, not because it's hyper indebted, not because they created two to four quadrillion in derivatives, but because it was Russia, because it was Iran or China or whatever narrative they spin around it. So we know that the financial system is approaching collapse. And I think that could potentially be linked to this coming cyber attack. I don't know. I'm just putting two and two together. They keep promising that it's going to happen. And it seems to me like it might happen. Now, one of their most recent war games on this, we're going to discuss in part two. And in this war game, they discuss things like a global bank holiday, freezing bank accounts and the stock market as a response to the cyber attack. Now, that would also be the response to the collapsing global financial system. So it's easy to see how a global cyber attack could actually be very useful if you have a collapsing financial system, because it would enable you to enact certain things that otherwise would not be able to be enacted because there would be no narrative for it, such as a global bank holiday. So this is quite an interesting one. We've got a lot to cover in part two. A very important piece of the puzzle, I think, for understanding how the coming financial collapse could be managed and what tools they might use, maybe a potential smokescreen. So we're going to be looking at that. We're going to look at what the outcomes might be, what the reactions could be to all of this. I'm going to be looking back at history, including what happened in the 1930s during the Great Depression, because there's lots of parallels to draw from that. Also, we'll look at how something like a cyber attack could be used as the catalyst to take us towards central bank digital currencies, digital IDs. I mean, they're already talking about a no trust Internet. So what does that mean? Well, a no trust Internet means that by default, there would be no trust of anyone participating on the Internet. And therefore, everyone would have to identify themselves before going online or into the digital world, period. And of course, it's quite easy to see how a major global cyber event that brings down nations, that brings down the grid, all of which would be absolutely catastrophic. But I think the financial element is the key one here because that's the one which has to come down. But you can easily see how that could be angled to say, right, we need to have identification for everyone going online to make sure this never, ever happens again. In the same way, they tried to do that with COVID. They tried to say everyone now must have a vaccine passport. Everyone must have a digital ID. This could be done with cash also. In a global financial crisis, they could bring down the cash machines and say they no longer work. Well, in the future, they could say, well, now we need central bank digital currencies because the cryptocurrencies, well, all of them got wiped out in this cyber attack. Bitcoin no longer worked in the cyber attack. Cash machines no longer worked. So if we have digital IDs to go online and if we have a centrally controlled digital currency, 
that only we can access, only we can control, well then we can make sure nothing like this ever happens again. But of course people would have to be taken to real desperation and hardship first to accept that and that's where the cyber attack would come in. So in part two, we're going to be starting off with the other cyber polygons in 2020 and 2021 before looking at this recent event called Collective Strength, which is a very important one and I think foresees what might be coming next. Then we're going to talk about what a cyber attack would actually look like. What would happen if the grid got brought down? And we're going to do a little war game of that ourselves. We're going to do a little role play just to imagine what it would look like two days out, one week out, so we can better prepare ourselves because then we're going to talk about what we can do to get ourselves practically and even financially prepared for the potential of a global cyber attack on the financial system or on the energy grid or anywhere else. So that's part two. If you'd like to listen to that, please join us over on parallelmic.com where you can become a member, support my content, support censorship free content, because that is a key part of this too. Of course, their goal is to make sure that nobody can put out censorship free content on the internet. We're already very, very close. That's why I have to put this on my website in a member section because I wouldn't be able to put it on YouTube or any other mainstream platform. So that's why it's important to support censorship-free content to help us keep going right until the bitter end. So members, thank you so much for supporting me thus far. I hope you enjoyed this content, and I think you're really going to enjoy part two. So in closing, thank you so much for listening. I hope you're all well, healthy, and happy. And of course, I'll see each and every one of you in the next one. What you are basically, deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence.
peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not really peace in our time, peace in all time.